In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, please be seated. The other day I was walking through the church garden and uh, a couple of kids were playing over near the playground and uh, I saw a few mothers sitting on a bench talking to each other and all of a sudden um, a little girl playing near the playground seems to have, have lost something under the bush and so she ran over to her mother and said, Help! And her mother stopped what she was doing and went over, uh, crisis averted. The toy was found and the little girl was happy. I was thinking about these scriptures as I walked by and noticed that little girl so quickly and easily ask for help. And I wondered, when do we lose that? We start out asking for what we need, demanding what we need, asking for help, uh, wherever help might be found. But then we learn different things, don't we? Uh, Maybe when that little girl goes to kindergarten or first grade and she begins to notice that asking for help may mean you don't know something. And so if you pretend you don't need help, everyone will think you have the answers. And so it begins, and so it continues, until we find ourselves in a point of living where it's really difficult to ask for help. There's so much going against simply saying, I need help. Today's gospel is about miracles. It's about miracles of healing, clearly. It's about uh, Mark showing that Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth and can heal mind, body, and soul. Miracles can happen. That's clear enough. But the gospel is also about a, a sort of minor, everyday miracle when you think about it. It's the miracle of, of two people, actually, who ask for help. We have the story of of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. Then, as now, that probably meant something. He was well-known. He probably was successful in whatever business he, he was in. He probably had money. He's the sort of guy who got things done. You'd want him to chair a committee or, or um, a, a task and make sure it was seen through and accomplished. We know people like Jairus. He's the go-to guy. And yet, here he is out of his range of expertise. He he can't control or manage or fix or direct this situation. He's at his wit's end. His daughter is getting worse and some are saying she might die. And so Jairus is out of resources. He's out of ideas. He's out of options. And then and only then he reaches out to Jesus. The woman with the hemorrhage for years does the same thing. Um, We're told of a situation that too many people in our day are accustomed with. They see doctor after doctor and specialist after specialist leaving money at each office, but not getting any clearer to a diagnosis or an answer or a healing. And so this poor woman back in Jesus' day is in that situation. But finally, even though she's been to everybody, even though she's tried everything, she hasn't reached out for Jesus yet. And so she dares to do that. 
um, in silence, probably in some shame. But she reaches for him, and just in touching him, she receives healing. Things are better, and it's the beginning of a new day, a new life for this woman. Both these stories have happy endings, and Sometimes when I'm talking with people or or thinking of people who are in desperate need of of healing, um, I I wonder, are these stories helpful or not? (laughs) In some ways, they offer hope. They can be helpful. They can encourage someone to, to keep on, keep on trying, keep on praying, keep on doing what you can. Healing might just be around the corner. But on the other hand, it could give a sort of false hope if one began to imagine that if one only says the right prayer or takes the right medication or sees the right specialist, then healing will come. It's that very human part of us that even when we try not to, we we often live as though God is a sort of holy ATM. And if we get the right code in and have our card and everything goes right, then, then the outcome is what we most need and want. Christian experience tells us that God isn't like that. God answers prayers often in ways we don't readily understand or comprehend. Sometimes in silence, sometimes loudly, sometimes in ways we don't like very much. Miracles happen with prayer, but they also happen with medical care. We all know situations and stories when perhaps one is praying for healing, but one's also doing what one is told to do by the doctor and the nurses and all the technicians, and healing comes. I remember a former parishioner once who was losing her vision in one eye. It was a terrifying thing until she saw a doctor who suggested they try this therapy whereby they would inject a little air bubble in the back of her eye and the bubble would find its way to the little tiny hole that was in her eye. It worked. Her vision was cured. I mean, that's every bit as miraculous a healing as what we read about in the Gospels. It just happened in a different context. And so healing happens But a part of that healing comes in the gospel stories when people ask for help. The woman with the hemorrhage, probably her friends had told her, just give up. You've tried everything. Just be at peace. And yet she tries again. And Jairus probably was told, you know, don't talk to Jesus. He's no count. He doesn't come from anywhere. No one really knows what he's about. And yet Jairus asks for help And Jesus brings healing. Who knows what sorts of healing are unleashed when these people open themselves up to the power of God's Spirit. Certainly to Jairus, to his little girl, to his family, to their community. But but on and on, healing ripples outward. That's the way healing works when someone is humble enough to ask for help. It expands all sorts of unimagined possibilities and directions. I think of a friend and former parishioner who I'll call Sarah. That wasn't her name. Um, But she was middle-aged and she had never married and she really had no living family except for a couple of distant cousins. 
And about the time I went to the church in Washington, D.C. as their rector, uh, Sarah received a, a pretty severe diagnosis of cancer. And she began on a course that would create miracle after miracle. She began on this course because she asked for help. First of all, she asked around who had similar diagnoses, who had been through this before, which course of treatment did they try, which one was best, what were others' experiences. She read a little bit on the internet, but, but she mostly asked people and she followed up. She saw doctor after doctor after tiring doctor. She saw specialist, but she continued to ask for help. And this this wasn't easy for her. She was someone who had always done her own thing. She had forged her own way. She had made her own money. She had paid her own bills. She had taken trips alone. She had created a wonderful life pretty much by herself. She didn't need help before. But she was smart enough and open enough that when she needed help, she looked around for it. And so over the next five years, Sarah's health had its ups and downs. She continued to invite people into her life, doctors and nurses, but also friends and and new friends from our church community. She had one of these amazing spirits that could make a joke about some difficulty. But each time she got a new dire diagnosis, she simply made other plans. She would explain that she would plan a trip, even if she couldn't go on it. And so she would look up places that she wanted to visit, and she would read up on them and and sort of pretend, you know, if I were to go to Nepal, here is where I would stay, and here is where I would eat. And it, it kept her going when she was going from treatment to treatment. And so in the last year of her life, she was doing this sort of pretend game for herself about a safari in Africa. Everyone thought she was crazy, even to think about it. Her doctors said, just understand, this is an exercise in your imagination. You will never be able to go on this trip. Well, she felt okay day by day, and she kept praying about it, and she kept asking for help. It got to the point where she had to put a down payment for this trip. And she asked around, and she thought, well, what else was she going to do with her money? So she paid the down payment. The doctors again told her she was being foolish. Well, she continued on and on, and she was on some heavy-duty narcotics, and she had to go to the embassies of various African countries in order to get permission so that if she went on this trip, she could travel with narcotics internationally. Well, you can probably imagine how the story ends. She went on this safari. She went and took amazing photographs everywhere she went. When she came back, she had several exhibitions of her photography, and she told story after story. All of this because she asked for help all along the way. Eventually, Sarah died peacefully. But in that long process of living, she had empowered friends who had no idea what they were capable of, She had raised new issues and concerns in the retirement complex where she lived, including other voices and and changing procedures and rules for the future. She slowly gave her two beloved animals, probably her two very best friends, to other people, kind of blessing their families and enriching their lives for many years to come. And then she gave her priest 
those kinds of conversations one usually only imagines in seminary. When we would sit together and Sarah would say, well, what do you think heaven's going to be like? What do you think it will feel like to die? On and on the questions went as she was asking for help navigating this final chapter. Healing comes partly through the humility of asking. Healing comes when we find a place of emptiness and know that we need more. In our epistle today, St. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and Corinth is a place in some ways analogous to Manhattan. It was a place of sophisticated and wealthy people, of, of tremendous culture. And Paul is going around, making the rounds with various churches, trying to raise money for the church in Jerusalem. And so to the Corinthians, he basically shames them by bringing up another church, the Macedonians. And he says, you remember how hard the Macedonians have had it. They have not had an easy time of it. And yet they're giving money to send to Jerusalem. It's a little bit like many of us when we are on the subway and we notice someone coming through asking for money and most of us go through our head and think, hmm, if we give money, how much should we give? If we give, is the person going to spend it in a good way? Do they look like they're worthy? On and on and on these conversations go. Meanwhile, some of the poorest of the poor on the subway are reaching and giving coins because they know what it is to be in need. Who cares what the reasons are? Who cares what they're going to do with the money? It's out of a place of humility and emptiness and neediness that so often people can be most generous. Richard Rohr is a popular writer and a a priest in the Franciscan tradition. And in one little book called Breathing Underwater, he talks about surrendering ourselves to healing He says, to finally surrender ourselves to healing, we have to have three spaces opened up within us and all at the same time. He says, we have to open up our opinionated head, our closed down heart, and our often defensive and defended body. And then he suggests in this book how to do that, to keep the head open. Some sort of contemplative prayer or meditation helps. Some of us practice that this morning at 10 a.m. We're doing that in July and August in the little round chapel on Sundays. Many of you do it at home. You can contemplate or pray quietly anywhere, anytime. It's a way of opening up the head for God to come in more deeply. But to open up the heart, we take a look at our past. We be honest with relationships. We allow for creativity. We actually allow our hearts to be broken at some point. And then for that third part, Rohr talks about keeping the body open. And he says, for many of us, our body is like the ignored middle middle child in the family. (laughs) Having been ignored for so long, the body gets its revenge. Through compulsive eating or sexuality or anorexia or addiction of some kind, the body acts out when it's ignored. And so the body needs to be reclaimed as being a part of God's good generative force. God calls our bodies good. God calls us good. And so we try together to pray and live our prayers so that God might open us up, head, heart, and body, so that we can receive healing and offer healing to others. 
In the week that comes, our nation celebrates Independence Day, and much of the day in the celebration is so often about waving flags and uh, proclaiming strength and counting our successes and our power. Those can be good things, and we can give thanks for them. But also, in our national life, in our communal life, and especially in our own lives, Let us also be clear about the places in which we are weak, because it's only with clarity about our weaknesses that we can grow, that we can allow God in. And so may the Holy Spirit reveal our deficiencies, show us our inabilities at fixing everything and controlling everyone. May we be aware of our neediness and ask for God's help so that we too may know God's healing and resurrecting love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.